Indigenous Earth Community Podcast, where we celebrate Indigenous heroes from around the world and learn from them on how to honor the traditions of protecting the planet. We discuss actionable tips on how to connect to our beautiful planet while lessening our daily impact. I'm your host, Frank Oscar Weaver. I'm so stoked for my next guest, Shandine Cedar. She's an avid outdoor woman. In fact, Shandine is one of the ambassadors for Native Outdoors. In this episode, we talk about her advocacy for people of color to enjoy the outdoors. And Shandine shares how we can help the Navajo Nation during this pandemic and the way the indigenous people's knowledge and storytelling need to be heard to protect our planet. Shandine, how are you? Doing well, just bunkered down here in New Zealand, eager to get out of lockdown and start adventuring more again in our van. <laughs> that is awesome. And before we start, I was wondering if you have like a short prayer or words of wisdom to ground our conversation. Yeah, so I have here today what we call in Navajo the uh, Beauty Way Prayer, and I'm just going to read um, excerpt of, of it. It's um, pretty long, and um, it's something that as a kid you kind of, kind of your your grandparents and parents kind of just always say this, and it's kind of in the back of your head all the time. And recently, I've really tried to reconnect with its full meaning. Um, so the the word for beauty is hojo. And roughly translated, it's the concept of balance and beauty. And um, it means so much more. It, it's very um, holistic in its meaning, but the word hojo. Um, so this is, hojo is beauty, and this is the beauty way prayer. And this is a part of it that I just, every day I kind of like wake up and think about it and how I go about my day. So um, with beauty before me, may I walk. With beauty behind me, may I walk. With beauty below me, may I walk. With beauty above me, may I walk. With beauty all around me, may I walk. It is finished in beauty. It is finished in beauty. A hope. So this is just a small section of it, but it really is kind of just putting an attention to whatever you're doing um, and just saying that there is balance and um, in whatever you're going forward with your day and you're kind of protected by that that affirmation of um, beauty and wholesomeness. So I just really have always really liked the concept of that. Um, and yeah, hopefully other people like it too. <laughs> yeah, that is awesome. And to me, it sounds like a really powerful grounding exercise that we can do, right? And I feel like if you're ever having like a hard time, you can kind of say those words and then reconnect with the, uh, with the world. And I appreciate so much for you sharing that. And it's something that I was always remember and I always try to use in my daily life. And you mentioned that you're in New Zealand right now. It's, man, it's a dream of me to come to visit. And you got to tell me, is it beautiful like the pictures show it or is it even more beautiful? It's definitely a pristine, natural paradise as well as a playground for an outdoors woman like myself. Um, I think it's just, it's just like any other place. There's places that are like highly developed and, you know, like forestry logging is pretty big here, which was kind of a unexpected thing to learn more about, which isn't 
from, I don't know, it just isn't what you kind of expect when you come to New Zealand, but there's also areas that are like rainforest fjords into glaciers and the mountains. I mean, just like think of Lord of the Rings-esque kind of mega views. Um, There's also in the North Island, you know, tropical feeling beaches and all of that stuff. So um, yeah, it definitely lives up to its expectations. Um, and if you can come here, definitely come in their spring. So that's like September, August, I'd recommend. Um, that's We arrived here in January and it was coming into summer and just like so beautiful. That is awesome. And you mentioned that you like doing outdoor activities. Uh, what kind of activities have you been able to do since you got to New Zealand? Yeah. So the grand plan when we arrived on January 1st was to get a van and um, kind of live a simple, sustainable life um, on the road and basically just take a break from our fast paced lives in the Bay Area and climb a lot. That was one of our number one goals, hike, backpack, camp. Uh, basically just enjoy nature and kind of get back in touch with the things that we were really passionate about. Um, so yeah, we've done a bunch of climbing and backpacking and um, hiking mostly. Um, and then right now we're just kind of putting all of that on pause for a little while, but we should be getting back to that pretty soon. That is pretty cool. And I'm so happy to hear that you're so passionate about the outdoors would you be able to share with us, like, what's your earliest memory of exploring the outside? Yeah. So, actually, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to some of my flatmates um, about kind of the Navajo culture and my background on Navajo Reservation in Arizona. And my memories, and I totally attribute my love and, like, identity with the outdoors with my grandmother's land on the reservation as a kid. Um, I was born in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is a northern part of the state. And every, like, I lived on the reservation for a while and then in town. And every weekend, I just begged my mom, can we go see grandma? Can we go back? And it was just a time being up there with her. She's pretty traditional. Um, She's lived in a house with no running water, electricity, um, was a sheep herder, had goats and, and horses and all of that. And it was just a time where I could literally just be let loose outside and you don't have, you don't really have to worry aside from like mountain lions, but, um, like there's no roads, there's no other people. Like I had, I had full freedom to just go explore, get dirty, you know, climb trees just for hours and hours and hours. So it was a paradise for me as a little kid. And I think now in context and as a, you know, growing up as a young young adult, like you kind of realize like you don't have that in your life anymore. You don't really, really, really realize how much you enjoyed and appreciated that. And so in college was a turning point of like getting back to that. And the outdoors has become like, a huge part of my life because of that. So yeah, I'm just like riding horses and just all of that. And has kind of formulated my love and passion for trying to protect that in, in the end. Yeah. So you say that the outdoors is a big part of your life. Uh, and now you're ambassador for native outdoors. Can you tell me more about this organization and how you get involved? Yeah. So 
Naves Outdoors, the simple way to put it, we're, we're doing a lot more things now, but we celebrate and elevate Native and Indigenous people in the outdoors, whether that's Native athletes trying to plug them in with industry leaders and you know, different brands trying to plug them in and get them elevated. Um, if it's artists, designers for outdoor materials and um, kind of, you know, if you want to use a native design, like hire a native artist and we'll put you in contact with them. Um, so we'll ele elevate, you know, industry leaders, people who have uh, a voice in land conservation and um, advocacy on how we recreate on land because a lot of our places that we go are within, you know, either are on native, um, well, everything's on native land, but um, on um, tribal land or within a hundred miles of tribal land. So um, it's become for me a way to one, reconnect with my own identity and heritage um, and hopefully inspire through like, social media and storytelling others to reclaim their identity as well and that identity and love for land so that portion for me has been super meaningful and the stories that I get back the messages I get back are just so incredible um and I think so so Natives Outdoors has that portion of it um we also do um, the media portion of it so we partner with brands to make like a short, short documentaries. Um, for example, we did one with Patagonia and the Wilderness Society on the Gwich'in people up in the Arctic, um, the Arctic Circle and all of the um, current administration's work to open up drilling on that land. Um, so we've trying to basically just elevate these conversations and these people's um, connection to land and get, um, support around these different objectives. So, so yeah. And right now, shameless plug, we're doing a, um, a COVID-19 fundraiser for Navajo Nation and the Pueblos around the Southwest. Um, so that's currently one of our big initiatives that we've been focusing on raising direct donations. And then um, people have, if brands have extra, uh, for example, Patagonia's manufacturing line um, allows them to be pretty um, agile in what they make. So they're going to be sending a bunch of masks to Navajo. So just things like that. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of an interesting time where what we're focusing on right now. Yeah, I mean, this is so important and I'm definitely going to add the links to the description of the show so people can go in and can donate. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned, for example, how if you want to use a native design to make sure they're using a native um, designer to do draw that for you, because I feel like sometimes uh, the representations get lost. And even though you might be wanting to do something correct because you're so removed from it, it might come off as offensive or uh, misguided. Um, and as a woman that is uh, native and on, on the outdoors, do you think there's drawbacks uh, for people like yourself to enjoy the outdoors? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think being a woman of color too has its, <laughs> there's like barriers on barriers. Um, and yeah, I definitely say yes. It's, 
especially, you know, I climb a bunch and, um, being a woman, even just like in a climbing gym, it can be kind of daunting and, um, you know, you have to navigate kind of social situations that if you're a guy, it's probably a lot different. Um, and you know, a lot of people are fine and, and there's no issues, but there are circumstances that I think for some people, it does hold you back to a certain um, point. And then being a woman of color, it's just like you grow up with all of these preconceived notions of what you should do and not do. And like, this is a white person sport. And like, you just don't do that. You know, just these things and these comments in your head that, that unnecessarily hold you, hold you back from doing certain things. I definitely see that as a barrier for, for women and also people of color in general in the outdoors industry. Yeah, for sure. And it kind of goes back to something that you were mentioning earlier, how, you know, we're talking about the United States. It was all native land, right? And now we kind of like divided uh, the places recreation into parks and uh, national parks and a lot of those areas were, you know, like primary use for native people, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, when we have indigenous people that want to recreate there, there's all those barriers uh, in place when they should be none, right? Mm -hmm. So I appreciate your efforts to inspire uh, the young generation to go and recreate and enjoy nature on those places. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many layers to this work. Um, and it's been really interesting, a really interesting process to try to navigate through it all. I think a good example, when I talk about indigenous land and like things like parks and um, national parks, um, you know, Yosemite in California, they wanted to preserve it, conserve it. Um, and they went about it in not not a great scenario. Um, you know, they removed the indigenous people off the land and opened it up for, for use for everyone, which, you know, you want to conserve land, but you want to do it in a way that's beneficial and, um, kind of, I don't think that would happen today, but, um, now they're having a lot of issues with, overgrowth and the land management of the land and fires and the indigenous people that were there took care of the land. And once they were removed, they're having all of these problems. And so now they're just, just now starting to bring back that knowledge and address, address these issues and have them back on the land, which I think is a very good step in the right direction. Um, but it just goes to show that like, there's a lot of things that have been done in the past 150 years that we're kind of undoing. Um, and I do think in the outdoor industry, there is kind of a awakening to like, oh, like indigenous people have all of this like ancient, ancient knowledge. Like we can use that um, and then also do it in a way that's like interesting for culture and storytelling for people who might not know. It's been a learning exercise for me too. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned about, you know, the expel the uh, native people from the public areas and them having the knowledge of how to take care of the land. It's something that happened uh, in Paraguay, too, where there was an area that had some uh, ancient pyroglyphs that were dated about 
5,000 years ago that I went to document everything. But they, in this area in particular, they thought that it would be better for the preservation if they burn the forest around it so people can get to it closer so they can take a look. Mm. And the indigenous people are like, no, like you shouldn't burn this, but they kind of push them aside and kick them out. And once they burned the forest, what happened was the sun could go to those petroglyphs and then uh, moss started growing in there and starting to destroy. And, you know, I would say from when a child, I remember going to those beautiful petroglyphs, now is five to 10% left. Uh, and it was because the indigenous people were not consulted. They were not asked about, you know, their uh, opinion and the matters. And is this something that they live there, right? If you go to somebody's house, like, you got to ask those people, should I take my shoes off? Or, you know, how do I approach it? And I feel like that conversation is kind of missed. And um, go a little bit of changing subjects. Um, I hope that you go back to the outdoors. You can enjoy enjoy it. Uh, right now with the virus, kind of like the reopening phases, uh, a lot of people are going back to the outdoors. You know, I went to a beach uh, reopening a couple of weeks ago to kind of check it out. And unfortunately, it was a really sad sight. I saw somebody grab a glove they had on their hand and they just toss it on the ground. And he was making their own the way to the ocean, and I kind of chased and I grabbed it, and I was able to pick it up before it reached the ocean. Um, how can we go back to enjoy uh, ourselves outdoors, but also leaving it better for future generations? Yeah, that's the big question, I think. And on a micro scale, it's you know being the advocate, each one of us that can say or do something and start a conversation with those kind of people who disregard or maybe just completely um, ignorant of like what that actual action means to the planet and to society. I think having, we all need to be an advocate and it's really, really hard sometimes to have those conversations or initiate them, but there are a lot of resources out there, especially in the ind um, outdoor industry, to have those conversations in a way that, you know, there's this whole thing about not calling out people, but calling people in. So calling them into a conversation, a meaning uh, one where they don't feel defensive or attacked. Um, so I think that's like number one. We all need to be a vocal advocate and an advocate that takes action. Um, the second thing is once you have those conversations, um, you know, spreading the word, I, I also think like, I mean, you know, reaching people outside of our bubbles who have this understanding, maybe the guy just truly didn't really, un doesn't really understand the impact of like plastics in our oceans and stuff. Like, I think the big thing for me is like, how do you reach people who don't even like know that they should know? Um, and, you know, that's on the micro scale, on the macro scale, you know, we have issues about climate change and like, really, really big conversations. And, you know, those two do have to be tied. Um, you know, there's a saying of um, act locally, think globally. And I always think about that. And I think humanity is just going to have to take a strong, like very strong look in the mirror at themselves and just say, 
like we all have to change our habits. Um, and there's plenty of resources out there on like what people can do to reduce their impact, especially when you go outside to recreate, you know, these areas are in a lot of cases, very fragile and they need, you know, we want people to fall in love with the outdoors. We want people to have access, but we also <laughs> can't afford to like have people disregard, um, like leave no trace principles and, and stuff like that. Um, I think the only thing that we can do as environmentalists and, and, you know, leaders in the outdoor space is give the information out there and spread the word as much as possible. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a question I struggle with every day. Like how do we reach people who just don't know that they should know? Yeah. I, I really like, uh, the point you made about, you know, not talking down on them, but really bring them into the conversation. Uh, you know, I've been doing kayak cleanups of the rivers and lakes of Central Florida for the last 10 years. And some of the rivers we go to, uh, there's a person that I don't know if in New Zealand they know about them, but it's called the Florida Man. Have you heard of them? <laughs> the Florida Man? The Florida Man is uh, a character. You know, I call them the, the river people that it's people that later, you know, they do crazy things. They go up in the trees and they they jump and they build things and, you know, has a lot of like debris on the water. And I'm always afraid to go talk to them, be like, hey, you shouldn't be throwing your beer cans in the river. Uh, but I like how you're saying of not like really talking down on them, but I really bring them into the conversation and see, you know, like exploring those concepts of like sharing the nature. So I appreciate that. And I have to say that you're living the dream. You know, you're an inspiration for so many young people on how to recognize the natural world in a sustainable way. And, you know, you have a cause that you're following. You have your North Star that is guiding you. But uh, some young people don't don't have that. You know, they're looking around and trying to figure out what they're gonna do with the rest of their life. Uh, what advice you have for those yeah young people to to follow their passion? Yeah, um, I think for me, I was fortunate to have some really good college classes that opened my eyes to what it means to be an environmentalist and um, the concept of sustainability, like what is sustainability? And it's not just, you know, a hippie circle where people are just vegans and, you know, whatever stereotypes people think about. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have lately been more adamant about recruiting people into sustainability, into a profession, professional sustainability. Um, and for, for a couple of reasons, it's, you know, it's the future. I mean, there's so many emerging technologies that allow, that's going to allow society to um, thrive while also in balance with the ecological systems of our planet. Um, it's an area that has huge potential for growth. I mean, you don't have to give up your dream of like having financial security and joining sustainability. Like it's, it's, um, becoming a well 
documented and burgeoning industry. Um, I think in general for young people, like if you're passionate about something and if you are able to create experience around that experience, like uh, career professional experience around that passion, you're going to succeed and be good at it. Because if you are passionate about the work you're doing, you're going to give 110%. And because you give 110%, you're going to shine and, and, um, you know, make that successful for you. Um, I think we've all had jobs that we weren't passionate about and that's okay, but you can, you'll start to see the difference of, you know, something you care about and something you don't. So, um, my, I guess to solidify one recommendation to young people, it would be explore that passion, you know, really try to dig deep on it. And maybe that passion changes into something you weren't expecting. Um, you know, that happened to me and, you know, I'm super grateful that I was exposed to more things that helped me define exactly what that North star was. Um, and also, um, so a, a new year's resolution that I've from a couple of years back that I've just kept every day. Like if it scares you, you probably should be doing it like public speaking, taking that meeting, doing something like offering to do something at your job, whatever it is. Like if it's intimidating to you, it's probably means that you should do it. Obviously there's caps on <laughs> that <laughs> advice, like cliff jumping or whatever. Um, but yeah, just take that, chance and, and get get outside of your comfort zone yeah that is awesome and as we wrap up here do you have one advice of what we can do to help the planet you know maybe something that we can do from home since a lot of us are kind of in quarantine yeah yeah so i let's see i would say and this is going back to like thinking about how on a large scale we change habits and everyone can be an environmentalist. Um, and that is, I think we can all do a better job at voting with our wallets. So even if we identify as environmentalists, we're also consumers and we spend money, we, you know, buy things on Amazon or the grocery store clothes, whatever it is. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize how, how that's a vote. You're voting with your wallet on the products and services you want to be generated. And if there are alternatives to that product that are ethically made, sustainably made, or just better for the environment or the company is doing really great things, if we can support them financially, um, that's a huge, you know, markets are measuring all of this. Um, so that's something I've been really focusing on is taking the time to do research on the products and services that I spend money on. Um, and it, it really, really does have an impact, um, especially young people like uh, millennials and Gen Z were now the lar largest buying power in um, the States. It, it might be the world. I'm not sure. Um, but companies are, paying attention to that. And if we all said, okay, we're going to support companies like in the outdoor industry, like for example, Prana and Patagonia are companies that are, have very robust sustainability goals and ethics standards. Um, and if we support companies like that, um, 
you know, you're, you're voting, you're, you're taking action every day. And it's something easy that you can do. Like everyone needs to buy stuff. So it's just being a little bit more um, particular about what you buy. Perfect. Thank you. And um, is there anything else that you want to add before we finish? Um, I think, <laughs> you know, in thinking about this conversation um, and just the context of like being in quarantine and having this conversation, I feel like it would be a lot different if like coronavirus hadn't happened. But lately I've been really thinking about these like large questions and like watching the coronavirus unfold in the States from abroad. And also like we have an election coming up. Um, and so I think it's just like taking action, like, do you know your candidates both locally and on the national scale? Like what matters to you? What are candidates saying about climate change and, and um, communities of color and low income communities? Um, so I don't know, I would just maybe pull, put a call to action out there to like, remember like elections are coming up and all of this has an impact on, you know, our everyday lives. And, and if you're really about the outdoor industry, like, what are your representatives saying about land use issues and um, conservation? So just a, just something to think about. Yeah, for sure. We were able to flatten the curve with the uh, virus. Now we need to flatten the curve with the climate crisis. Yep, exactly. Shandine, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Frank. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.